Hey ladies, welcome to the Bus Mob Podcast, a breast and body positive resource that was created for the extraordinary women of Bus Mob. Now, if you aren't familiar with Bus Mob, we're a community of kind and supportive women who are really just cheering each other along on our booby journeys. Now you can join us for free and connect with thousands of other ladies at busmob.com. I'm your host, Jenny Eden, and I'm joined by one of my favorite people, Greta Nance, and we have such an exciting show for you today. So Greta and I realized that when we started this podcast, we dove in headfirst into all things plastic surgery before really taking the time to tell you who we are. So today's podcast, we want to tell you about me, Jenny Eden, <laughs> and not just like the plastic surgery personality portion of it, but really who I am as a person. So I'm excited for you to get a glimpse into my head, maybe, um, my heart, and to have really a better understanding of who I am. Well, I think... People always wonder about you and us and how we came to work in this strange kind of mm-hmm. environment and business. So I'm really excited to hear your story. <laughs> so I know we were going to talk about kind of our background, um, mm-hmm. kind of our childhood scenarios, what that was like, what makes our marriages unique or different, and maybe something we've overcome. So I guess I'll just dive right in. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'll ask you questions. I love questions. And I was the one who pushed for the marriage thing, you but did. maybe because I'm just nosy. And I <laughs> I, I am always curious because everyone's marriages fascinate me and they're so different in what makes them work. And I guess I get the weird insight to also get to work with your husband as well. <laughs> so I get to see your marriage on display all the time. Uh-huh. And it's cool. Like I learned something from everyone's marriage. That's really cool. And I like that you like that because I need to learn more about other people's marriages. Well, I've been married like one and a half years and you've been married like 32 and a half years. So (laughs) yeah, we're going to learn a lot. So Jenny, tell us about your childhood. I think that's always a great place to start in understanding who you are. So 34 years ago, because I am 34, at least today I am, I was born from a mom and dad. And they got divorced by the time I was two. So I don't even remember them being together. So I was really raised by a single parent, my mom. And I didn't really see my dad a whole lot because, I mean, they both had me when they were 25. And in hindsight, I think about having a kid at 25, that's so young. But I know a lot of people do it. But for me, like I was not prepared. So I can totally see why they may not have been prepared. (laughs) But they waited four or five years to have me, and then things fell apart. My dad is a free spirit. He likes to do his own thing. He's a biker. A lot of my personality is kind of like his, kind of um, just the way we both are very entertaining, and we don't let a lot of things stress us out, and we like to have fun. Like I know Enneagrams we talk about sometimes. I'm a seven. I know you're a seven. I'm a seven. Pretty sure my dad's a seven. Hmm. So I get a lot of my personality from him, but he was a wild child at 25, and so he wasn't around a lot. So then my mom was like, you know, if you're not bought into this thing, you're not going to be a part of the family. So she divorced him. And at the time, I know me and Robbie have talked about this a lot. Robbie's my husband. Um, Kind of how different families grow up together. Like with me and my mom – we were all we had for each other. And my grandparents kind of raised me the first nine years because my mom had to go out and figure out how to make money. So she was really good at bookkeeping and stuff like that. And then she got a job doing 
I don't even really know what bookkeeping is, like keeping up with numbers and stuff. But it was a very low paying job. And she worked her way up to be being the highest paying female in the company. So I really got to watch like our family dynamic. Like we had nothing. We couldn't afford dinner. We would have to eat at my grandparents' house at the end of the day when mom would come home from work because we didn't have enough for groceries to the point where she was the controller of the company and she was making really good money. So a lot of people only saw the part where my mom was making the good money, but not all the years where we were renting and jumping from place to place. I remember we rented this one house that had like a bunch of crickets in the basement and I called it the cricket house. And I loved it because it was crazy that there were a bunch of crickets in the basement. Can I make cricket noises? (laughs) But in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my God, those were cave crickets. Those are scary. They're huge. What is wrong with me? But when you're a kid, you know, you don't know any better. So there was there was that whole dynamic of it. It was funny. Like I grew up, I went to school at a Christian school. So like the first five years from kindergarten to fourth grade, I went to a very tiny Southern Baptist Christian school. Like there were 12 kids in my class every year, same 12 kids. Like there was one first grade, one second grade. And then when I went into fifth grade, my grandparents had moved away. So I didn't have them to like watch me after school. So I had the option to choose like high school, not high school, um, public school or private school. So of course, in my mind, I'm like, I want to do something different. That's that was so incredibly difficult to go from like a tiny Christian school to being thrown into fifth grade fights on the playground public school. Who the hell gives a fifth grader the choice? I know. <laughs> my, my fifth grader is never getting to choose where they go to school. Yeah, I think about that a lot. That was that was a big decision for me to make it fi- in fifth grade. But I mean, me and my mom, I don't know if you like watched Gilmore Girls. Like that was a lot of our dynamic. Like we were really, we've always been really close. We're still really close. So she probably trusted me to make that decision when it shouldn't have been my decision to make. Mm-hmm. So that was fun, not so fun. But then, you know, public school is public school. So that sounds very unique. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fifth grader, where do you want to go to school? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things we also said would be really interesting and what helps to shape where we are and who we are as women today is like, hey, we've all overcome tons of obstacles, but uh-huh. what's a big one. And I know you and I both immediately thought of ours. Uh So you ready to talk about it? Yeah. So when I was, my mom always gave me a lot of rope. Like I had a lot of freedom. I could come and go as I please as long as I told her where I was going. I got a car when I was 15. I was able, as soon as I got my license, I was gone. And it wasn't a big deal. I could I could eat what I wanted. I could stay up as late as I wanted. Like I didn't really have a lot of guardrails. And I just thought that was normal. So when I was 16, I started driving everywhere, not being home. And I started like dabbling, you know, like with a little bit of drugs, you know, here and there because I'm a seven Enneagram. And so like I want to do things that are fun and make me feel good. But then because of our personalities, we end up taking things to the extreme because we want more of it. We want to feel more and more. And they're like, well, if that felt good, imagine doing twice as much as that. So that's a, a really bad way to live your life. So I, from 16 to 19, I basically got myself dug a deeper and deeper and deeper hole for myself when it came to drugs to the point where I remember being 19. I didn't say this earlier, but I had a year where I packed my bags and 
left town for a year. I went to Daytona Beach, packed my car, left. And when I went down there when I was 17, um, I didn't know anyone. It was, I couch surfed for a year. Anyways, so when I was down there, I decided I wanted to be vegan. And so I ate a bunch of carbs, which that's what you do when you're 18, 17. Um, So I gained 20 pounds down there. So when I came back when I was like 18, I weighed 145, which is the most I've ever weighed, not pregnant. And then when I started doing drugs really hard, I got down to like 90 pounds. I remember it was 90.0. And I remember thinking, if I lose like 0.1 ounces, I'm going to be in the 80s. And that is like insane. And I was so scared when I saw that number. That was a big catalyst for a lot of change. And I'll, I mean, I'll say it like my drug of choice was always, and it sounds very dirty to say it, but methamphetamines. And it had gotten so bad to the point where obviously I was almost 89 pounds. Um, I couldn't keep a job. I was 19. And it was just one of those, it's, I spiraled to a point where I couldn't stop and I knew I couldn't stop. And it made me feel so much shame. Whereas before it started out fun and this would be something to do every now and then. I was like, I can't stop. I'm doing it four or five times a day. Like I can't keep a job. My grades are tanking because I don't know why I thought being in college at the time was a good idea too. But I was on like academic probation and it was just, it was a shit show. How'd you even graduate high school? I you graduated know, like, when I was 17. I, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was um, school. I've never been good at school. Mm-hmm. I got to always try my best and like get like a C or a B. But um, I mean, I school's fine. I don't feel like it's that hard to pass high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, my grades weren't great. How'd you get out of this? I remember it was a fall semester and it was at its worst. And I had a night class. It was um, music appreciation. And my teacher... <clears throat> he pulled me aside after class one day. It was like eight o'clock at night. And he was like, hey, I see what you're doing. I know what you're up to. I've I've been where you've been. And I was like, oh God, he's going to report me. I'm going to get in trouble. And he was like, I want you, I want to mentor you next semester. I want you to come to my office twice a week. We're going to talk about it. You're going to, you're going to do like uh, NA classes and all this stuff. And so he really set me up like giving me guardrails for the first time. Like no one's ever really told me exactly what to do. And he did that. He he didn't even really know me. And so I was like, okay, well, that's good. And then I decided to move back home with my dad who has a history of drug abuse. So I knew he would be able to see it. Like if I came home looking funny, he would call me out on it. So I moved in with my dad who actually lived in a barn in the backyard of his, his parents' house. Oh my God. Yeah, um, we didn't have a toilet. Um, we'd have to walk down the hill to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, yeah, and that is – then I decided, you know what, I have to enroll next spring into college so I can meet with my mentor now twice a week. So I took another music class. I took like piano or something. And that's when I met Robbie, my husband. <laughs> How old were you? I was 20. That's crazy. I had just turned 20. Tell me more about this teacher because I haven't heard this story. Like, first of all, how do you think he knew? Like, what were the signs that he knew? Well, I always came into class on drugs. Um, his name was Mike McClary. And he had a history of, what was it? Like, 
pain pills or something where he had to go into recovery. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that far back. He was like, it was a couple of years ago. Like the school took care of him while he went in recovery and all this stuff. And, and he was like, he wanted to pay it forward basically. But he saw my behavior. I remember like it took me way longer to do my tests than everyone else. I was probably super spacey. Um, you know, you can always point out when someone's like strung out. Mm-hmm. That was probably my 19-year-old self in the back of his class trying to do music appreciation. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when was like the last time you did drugs? Like was there like a turning point or did you just kind of ease out of it? Yeah. Or Oh, there's definitely a, a point. So during all of that, um, moving in with my dad helped. Um, starting school in the spring helped. And I started – they say in NA, like, you have to change your playground playmates. So I stopped hanging out with a lot of my friends. Um, <clears throat> I found a couple of friends that I had, was friends with in high school that were now at my college that weren't in the same crowd. So I started hanging out with different people, which was hard. But all of that, I started going to NA. So I felt like I was on the right track. But then I I walked into my public speaking class that spring, three days late, strung out on heroin at that time. Oh, my God. And I see Robbie, my future husband, in the class. And I'm like, oh. And I had known him since I was 14. So he knew all of my history. He had seen, like, all the awful guys I dated and how I was doing a ton of drugs. Like, he knew my entire past. So – I was like, I am getting out of this class. And we both tried to get out of the class too because he didn't want to be in the class with me. And we couldn't get out of the class. Like it, we had missed it. But um, all that to say, the last time I did drugs was January 14th. Hmm. Um, and that was – I was partying at like state with some friends. And I was like, I'm doing better. I'm not going to – and then some drugs came out. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to YOLO. <laughs> And then my friend actually overdosed in front of me and had a seizure and turned blue. So it was the scariest thing I'd ever gone through. And that was, again, January 14th. So after that, I was like, ah. So I met with Mike McClary, my music teacher. I told him what happened. And he was mad. And so that made me feel good that he cared enough to, like, be upset. And so I kept meeting with him. And that was the last time I did, like, hard drugs because – that really scared me. I saw like a near-death experience in I was going to say, was she okay? Yeah, she was fine. Okay, good. She went on to keep doing drugs. And I was like, oh, God. you know, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. I have to help myself. And so eventually she leveled herself out. Now she's married with three kids and awesome. everything's good. But it could have been really bad. Mm-hmm. But that seeing what could happen right in front of me made me walk away from it. So how did the relationship with you and Robbie start, (laughs) given you guys wanted to be get away from each other? Like, then what happened? I walked up to him after class one day, and I'm like, hey, do you you remember who I am? (laughs) He's like, yeah, you're Jenny Phillips, my name at the time. And I was like, yeah. And so I started talking to him, and then that night, he MySpaced me. Oh, my God, MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) So he MySpaced me and invited me to church with him. And um, I missed the first round of going to church with him. And then the next week I went. And he every morning when I went into public speaking class, it was like a 6 o'clock in the morning class, I would get a, don't judge me, McDonald's biscuit. It was an egg and cheese biscuit with a coffee because I was vegetarian at the time. 
And he surprised me with an egg and cheese biscuit at church. And I was like, he's been paying attention. Like he's been watching what I'm eating in the morning. So I thought that was really sweet. And then we just started hanging out more and more. And I told him up front, like, this is what I have been going through. This is like, I'm in recovery right now and all that. And so he started going to NA classes with me before we were dating. Like as a friend. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure he wanted to be more than a friend, but he was being a friend. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then about six weeks later, we were engaged. I know. I love this part because <laughs> I do know all about this part because I'm. it's just so bananas yeah. to me. It's It was fast. Um, and it's funny. In hindsight, they say when you're in recovery, don't date anyone for it, the first year. Yep. <laughs> I got married or I got engaged six weeks in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I see the value in waiting that full year because I was not mentally or emotionally ready, but we were both ready for that next season of life, you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of carried us through our first year of hell being married because um, it was a lot of me trying to discover or remember who I was because I lost so much of my identity doing drugs because before I was doing drugs, I had a strong sense of self. Like I knew who I was, what I liked, didn't care what anyone said, and then everything just got all confusing and muddled. And so I came out of it like, okay, who am I again? So I had to like go through this season of like rediscovering who I am, how to feel, how to process problems or different emotions that I wasn't used to even feeling anymore. Mm -hmm. That was a lot. That is a lot. And now you just celebrated your what year anniversary? Oh, no. Um, 13 or 14. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. It's, it's a lot. Um but we've been together a long time. We we grew up together, really. I mean, we've known each other since we were teenagers, since I was 14. And all your 20s are, I mean, for most people, it's like discovering yourself anyways. And so we really just grew up at the same time together. So there was a lot of grace in that for each other. Um, and in hindsight, we were kids. Like I was, I got married at 21. That's so crazy was so young. Yep. And so he wasn't – you guys weren't together when you had your breast reduction. Right. Right? I always love kind of that story. Like he knew you at 14 when you had these big, huge boobs. Uh -huh. And then somewhere in there, you got rid of the boobs. Yep. And then you re-met and he's like, where are the boobs? Uh-huh. I walked into class and he was like, where'd they go? <laughs> yep. Yep. But so how old were you? And tell me about you guys together having your first cosmetic surgery experience. Mm -hmm. And then you guys both – love this industry, yeah. you wanted to invest more in it. So mm -hmm. tell me that story. So I didn't get breast implants until 2010. So my reduction was 2004. And so I met Robbie in 2005 or 2006, 2006. We got married in the same year. <laughs> Lord, we had fast-tracked everything. <laughs> so um, I had small breasts, obviously, because I had a reduction, but it wasn't what I wanted Initially, I wanted a lift, but I went the reduction route because I was 18, insurance was going to pay for it. And I was like, well, yeah, if I don't have to pay for it. So then um, I came out not really having what I wanted. And so then when we were married, Robbie had always been a boob guy. And so that helped because I never had to like convince him or drag him along or like, you know, I hear that a lot, just spouses trying to get on board. He was already on board. Thankfully. So when the time was right, around 2010, um, we had been saving our money. Uh, he worked for Dave Ramsey at the time, which is a finan financial guy. 
And so we had worked the baby steps and all that stuff. So we had saved the money up for surgery. And he did the, a lot of the research for me at the time, which is kind of what sparked me to start eating those implants because I wasn't as invested in the educational portion. And I kind of, I regretted it. So that's why I'm like, I want every woman to be more informed and educated on what they're doing to their body. But that was not me. So I let Robbie do it. And then we ended up going to Florida and having my first breast dog down there. But it it enhanced our marriage so much. Like intimacy was so much easier because I wasn't thinking about my boobs being small or different because I was so used to having large breasts. I did not identify with what I had without them. Mm-hmm. So now I have the big boobies and we wanted to do something together. Like we always wanted to work together. And so we both had a heart for breast augmentation because we had spent, honestly, a couple of years talking about it. We had invested our time and money and resources into having one for me. So it just, it felt like a no brainer. Like I was in the research world at the time. I was doing clinical research. I loved that aspect of it. So we just poured that passion for research I had onto the procedure that I just had. And so then we took a cruise (laughs) and when we were on a cruise, we stayed in the library like no one does. And we like hammered out all these articles. And when we pulled back in after like seven days, we launched Eden Nose Implants. Because my husband at the time, you know, he builds websites. He does SEO and all that back end stuff I don't understand. And I was like the face of it. I, I, I was the communicator. I was the educator. I was the one writing articles and all that good stuff. So it was a perfect match for both of our talents. Mm-hmm. I love that. That that um, cruise story is crazy. Yeah. Because that is one of the things. You guys are a super unique couple, <laughs> super different, but have passion for the same thing. And it just – it's it's the perfect – Eden Nose Implants and all the things that you guys have created out of it, Bus Mob, it is the perfect marriage between this kind of personality and this dynamic person who went through it and the person who can help make it all happen mm-hmm. and push – and like give you the parameters – yeah. That it's funny you saying that because so much of that is similar. Like I equally don't want parameters, but I do so much better with what you call them guardrails. Mm-hmm. Like if you give me a map, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. But it's not a lot of fun, but yeah. that's the only way I can move forward. Yeah. And that was a lot of our marriage the first few years too. I was not used to having those guardrails. And Ro- you know, Robbie, he is mm-hmm. 100% guardrails. Mm-hmm. Like he has built his life with guardrails all over the place. Yep, Enneagram one. Yes. And mm-hmm. so like – I was, I was, I didn't know how to wrap my head around all of these, what I thought at the time were like barriers and walls and like, but it was, it was structure and it was something that I needed and I needed that from Robbie. And so I'm so glad that our paths crossed. It was just the perfect timing because I was a tornado and he was the opposite of a tornado, whatever that is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Rock? Steady (laughs) waves? Something not moving? (laughs) All right, so fast forward then 13 or 14 years. um, You guys have a child, and you now work together in the same space. Mm -hmm. Tell me what kind of a day in the life or a week in the life of the Robbie Jenny Hazel show (laughs) looks like now. Well, yes, we do work together. Um, But I don't – I'm not in a lot of his meetings or anything like that. Um, So – while he's he is technically my boss, um, I tell him I'm the CEO of the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I like that. 
But really, I mean, it's it's like having two hats. When we're at home, I take the work hat off and I don't want to talk about my work. Like if you want to talk about my work or tell me things I need to do better, you can tell me at work. Like I, I don't want those lines blurred. And when I'm here, you know, I, I'm not holding his hand or hugging him. And, you know, that's just weird. Like it's a professional relationship here. And a lot of times when we hire people, they don't even know we're married. Mm-mm. And I think that is that is perfect. Like, I don't want to be seen as Robbie's wife. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be seen as, like, what I do at my job, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to be good at what I do and not be seen as Robbie's wife. Um, but Hazel, yeah, she came along five years ago. We waited ten years to have her. Robbie didn't want kids. I did. We never talked about it because we dated, you know, six weeks. And then we got married, and I was like, what, what about kids? And he was like, what do you mean, what about kids? And I was like, well, when do you want to have kids? He was like, I don't ever want to have kids. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to have kids? <laughs> <laughs> so I waited 10 years until he felt ready, and then we had we had Hazel. So I know you had a unique birth experience compared to a lot of people. <laughs> um, I love hearing all about that. Um, tell me about that. So I had Hazel at a hippie commune in Summertown, Tennessee. It's um, the Sound, farm. Sounds about right. Summer, Summertown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's called the farm. And it's um, a hippie commune that traveled from San Francisco in the late 60s. They drove like their really cool painted buses over. And they really specialized in midwifery because when they traveled from San, San Francisco to Tennessee, a lot of them were pregnant. And so they were having babies on the buses, and they had to figure out how to deliver these babies. And so they ended up becoming such, like, a pioneering force in that industry. And I happened to live 45 minutes from there. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to go there. So I actually had Hazel on an actual farm called The Farm in my midwife's cabin in one of her rooms. Why was that so important to you? I liked the idea of having – a, quote, traditional childbirth. Um, I know the hospital that was close to us at the time always pushed for C-sections. Like, you come in pretty dilated, and they would still give you a C-section. And it, they were just known for doing that. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be in control of my experience. And so having a unmedicated, just letting my body do what it needs to do was really important to me. Like, I didn't even take a Tylenol. After I had Hazel, like, it, it's just I wanted to keep things as clean as possible when I had her because that was just really important to me at the time. That sounds insane. <laughs> that's all. I'm just trying to keep it together right now and not be like, that's fucking bananas. <laughs> but I love it. Again, it's one of the things that makes yeah. you and I so different. And that's just so crazy and cool. And I think it's part of the pendulum swinging the other way, like me having done so many drugs in the past mm-hmm. and then. Like, now I'm bringing a child into the world. I'm like, well, I want the opposite of that. I want to have, like, my body as prepared as possible. Like, no drugs going into my child yet. I'm sure she's going to at some point <laughs> in her life, you know. So, But for now, you know, I just want her to have a really good first start that I can give her. And it was scary, though. Towards the end, um, her heart rate was getting really high. So they thought maybe I was going to have to get a C-section, but... I went into the hospital. They monitored her and said, oh, you're having contractions. So they sent me home. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. 
It seems like you have flexibility there, you know, mm-hmm. which that always seems like to me, oh, you're stuck out on some farm. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, who knows what will happen. Yeah. So, God, that's really crazy. <laughs> I mean, like everyone's birthing stories are so unique too. Mm-hmm. I love, it used to be one of my favorite things to ask patients about. I mean, it was, I can't believe I had kids uh-huh. after hearing other people's <laughs> stories because they are horrifying. Uh-huh. But I think that's a re- something that makes you guys really unique. Yeah. Um, I think the thing I end up asking Robbie the most about, about y'all's marriage, is like the structure of it though. Like, mm-hmm. and and I have moved totally more towards that in my own marriage, but you guys are so good about intentional, mm-hmm. dedicated time for each other. That's true. And I, I hadn't met really anybody who is so rigid in certain ways <laughs> and and not, I'm not saying rigid in a bad way like Robbie helped to point out to me that tons of people spend quality quantity of time mm-hmm. but it's not quality yeah and you got like you guys are so good about your date nights with Hazel and mm-hmm. tell me all tell me that because yeah. I truly remember the first time Robbie and I met maybe even a month in and he kind of gave me his weekly rundown and I was like <laughs> This man is insane. Like this, there is no way. And then actually watching it work, it's beautiful. And everyone has their free time and everyone has plenty of time to work. And everyone feels like the time that you guys have set aside is important for them. Mm-hmm. And I adopt anything you guys try to tell me now. <laughs> That's so good. give me like an overview. Because okay. again, though, everyone, this sounds crazy. It does. But now what? How how long have you worked here? How long? Uh, three years, four years About almost? Three. Like I've seen it truly work Mm -hmm. and there are things that we can all take um into our own families i like that well one thing we've always had a scheduled date night every single week even before we had hazel and nothing gets in the way of date night so it's tuesday nights Mm -hmm. and it's always been tuesday nights for as long as i can remember but we knew that if we didn't take the time to be intentional about creating the space for it it never would happen and so when hazel came along we still knew, like two weeks after having Hazel, we went back on date night on Tuesday. And it's just one of those things, like, if we let it slide, it's easy not to do it. So it's like we try to honor our agreements. That was one of our family values back in the day. Um, and I still use that. Like, I want to honor my agreements. And one of those was we have a date night every single week. Mm-hmm. So we can connect. We can talk about things. And it's uninterrupted. Even if we have kids – we will hire a nanny. Like, n- we're going to have date night on Tuesdays. Well, I think that's an important part because I often hear people be like, yeah, but do you know how expensive that is and mm-hmm. all that? But you guys trade a lot yeah. of times with another family. Always. And I'm like, see, that's not an excuse either. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always an excuse, but Jenny and Robbie have figured it out. And yeah, you guys have someone watch Hazel and then you switch and let that family have a date night mm-hmm. by watching their kids. And it's good for the kids. And it's free. Yeah. It's called child swap. Yep. <laughs> That's what we call There's it. There's no excuse. Yeah. We haven't paid for an actual babysitter, God, in probably three years. That's crazy. Because every, most families want a date night. And so you just find a family and you schedule it and you swap kids. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it seems pretty easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we do that. Um, and we try every year to do a personal retreat where one of us goes alone and we read a book. We try to get back in touch with or it's going to sound really hippie, but like inner voice, like slowing down and listening to what's going on because most of us are so busy, we don't take that time to slow down. So we try to do that once, sometimes twice a year if we're lucky. Um, And then we have a family night with Hazel 
where we do something. We go out, we do like arcade games. We try to do something like that once a week. And then um, – Yeah, you guys do like fun stuff too. Yeah. And and Putt-putt? it's been hard right now, but you guys are yeah. still finding ways. We taught her to ride a bike. Yeah, and she – like she tells me about it when <laughs> she's in and around here. She's like – she knows what night is family night, mm-hmm. what night is date night with her dad. Yep. Like it's so cool. The, you guys have created such a strong routine. Mm-hmm. That, she loves it. Yeah, she does. And so Fridays is date with daddy. Mm-hmm. So Robbie will take Hazel to get ice cream or whatever she wants to pick out. And she loves it. And she always knows, like, mommy gets a date night and she gets a date night. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like she's missing out on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are, like, Robbie's very structured and it's helped me to really, like, sometimes we'll get so structured. I'm like, I don't feel like I have time to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then once I get into it, I'm like, oh, but it's a rhythm. Like, mm-hmm. it just becomes a natural part of your week. Mm-hmm. And it's intentional time. And Hazel loves it. So I love it. Yeah. Well, I think he's taught me too. in a way, routine sounds limiting, mm-hmm. but it's actually the opposite. It makes sure that you do get all the things you want out of the day. Because uh-huh. it's one thing if you say, I'm going to do all this stuff today. <laughs> but if you actually don't sit down and put times by it, mm-hmm. you might see that that shit ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it sounds rigid, but if anything, it's given me more freedom. Mm-hmm. So I love that you guys stick to that and you help other people by telling people about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people need to hear about date nights because, again, like, there's always an excuse not to do it. I have multiple kids. I can't find a babysitter. My parents live out of town. I'm like, well, we don't have a babysitter and our parents live out of town. And granted, we have one kid, but we child swap with someone who has two kids. And so it it doesn't – It's it, there's there are so many excuses you can make for not having the time, but it's because you haven't carved out the time to make it happen. Well said. Um, Before we wrap up, what's on the agenda for Robbie, Jenny, Hazel, 2020, the rest of the year? What you guys got going on? Hopefully school's open back up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not going to happen. So you guys Uh, got any vacations? Is there anything else you're working towards in your own respective businesses? Mm, um, So for vacation, me and Hazel are going with my mom to the beach in September. We're going to have a girls trip. So we haven't had one in, God, three years. So I'm really excited about that. And Hazel loves the beach. She thinks she loves the beach. She loves mm-hmm. the pool at the beach. But that's what we're going. <laughs> we're going to do that. But um, me and Robbie take our own vacations without Hazel. And that is very important to me. Um, we try to take three vacations a year, no matter like what it is. Like, Like we'll have one really nice one and then like the other two can be – Whatever. But we don't bring Hazel because that is not a vacation. That Mm -hmm. is a trip. Yes, we've learned that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Taking children anywhere is never a vacation. We have to reword it and call it a trip. Mm -hmm. You're taking a trip. I am taking a trip tomorrow (laughs) with all four children for five days. (laughs) But, you know, that is a stupid thing to go on a tangent about. But it calling it something different now has helped change my mindset because I was always angry on these <laughs> vacations that didn't feel like a vacation because I was calling it, this is my vacation too. Mm-hmm. Why can't I drink margaritas at 11 a.m. Mm, in silence? Like, like that. Because there are four children there. <laughs> so now, yes, Nick and I have our own vacations and you guys have your own vacations. Mm-hmm. You guys usually do somewhere fabulous in Mexico. We do. Too. Same place um, every yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> same place every time. But there's, I, get, I like that too. Then uh-huh. you know what to expect. And it's not like you're spending all this time researching mm-hmm. every time. And you guys always seem to go for like seven days. Mm. 
plus, mm. which I do think is important and I need to do better at that. Yeah. I'm not afraid to take a long trip. <laughs> yeah. No, no. That's I mean, good. a long vacation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I do love going to the same place because for Robbie, he likes predictability. And the place we go, I, I know all the restaurants. I know what I like. We, we get to know the people there and there's so many things to do. So he gets his predictability and I get my, I can do a lot of things in this one place. Yeah. That sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. So work-wise in 2020, um, what's going to be different for me and probably Robbie too since he works here um, is Eden of Implants, the platform I kind of built. I didn't kind of build it. A platform I built all around plastic surgery, specifically breast implants, is now going to be merging. I know people don't like that word. Um, it's going to be integrating, gobbled up by <laughs> busmob.com. And busmob is the online community of women who want to have plastic surgery. So it, it got confusing having two brands out there, like Edenos Implants and Busmob. People in Busmob didn't really know about Edenos Implants sometimes, or people who love reading the content on Edenos Implants were missing the community aspect of Busmob. So I hated that they were two kind of different brands, but it's run by the same person, me. So we're going to smush those together. <laughs> And it's going to be just bus mob. And I'm really excited about that because we're going to be able to do more plastic surgery procedures in the future, like starting a new forum for like, maybe it's skincare. What were we calling mm -hmm. it? Anti-aging Anti and beauty yeah, or something like that. We're working on it. <laughs> well, it's like you're not just an expert on implants anymore. That's right. So like the name Eden Knows Implants hasn't made a ton of sense mm -hmm. for like the last year because God, you answer questions about tummy tucks and mm -hmm. you've had liposuction and now you're getting Botox and mm -hmm. like we want to be educating on all the things yeah. and that was confusing. It so was. I'm so excited to see where you take that. It's going to be great. And we're, we're doing watch parties inside mm -hmm. of Facebook. We're going to be doing multiple procedure watch parties. And before we were doing the orientations where it was just like a general overview of all the things. And now we've really broken it down into different things like all things breasts, mommy makeover, maybe face one day like mm -hmm. we're we're doing so much behind the scenes that are exciting that i can't wait to see what 2021 looks like yeah you're making bus mob a lot more robust yeah. for women so be great if you know anyone who not just is interested in breasts but any other mm -hmm. type of surgery hopefully over the next six months you're going to be rolling out really cool options for them to learn yeah in this kind of cool environment. Because mm -hmm. again, that's what you and I have been talking about this week, joining other forums that exist out there. And oh my God, y'all, <laughs> they're nasty. <laughs> and they are weird and they are negative. And mm -hmm. there is something magical about Bus Mob. And we got to pour fuel on that, mm -hmm. but keep that really awesome sense of positive community yeah. that you've started. Thank you. And to get signed up for that, it's busmob.com. And there are two separate places you can go. You can go to the Facebook group or you can go to like a standalone forum. I would encourage you to go to the Facebook group because it is more communal. You see more faces. People tend to be a little bit more active on there because it's Facebook. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It, they just make it so easy. Yeah. Well, that's all about me and my crazy brain. And I'm glad you guys listened to it. Uh, next podcast is going to be episode 20 talking about Greta Nance. Holy shit. And it's going to be great. Grab a drink. Yeah. <laughs> or, or two. Or, yeah. <laughs> Ahead of time. Talking, let's talk about my substance abuse yeah, problems. No, I'm great. just kidding. Wine. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.